of the most important things is to save them. Listen, the exam starts 30 minutes before you and the cat get here, right? And when you start to tell them about the ways in which they can make the visit easier, they become part of the healthcare team. Welcome into the Perfect Your Practice podcast. I'm Dr. Natalie Marks, and these are bite-sized and snackable ways to elevate the way you practice feline medicine, not just for your patients, but also for your clients and for your team. Back with us today, one of my favorite feline <laughs> experts and also a cat-friendly practice consultant. Welcome back, Dr. Elizabeth Colloran. Thank you so much. It's so great to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, we're so glad you're here. We've got a really interesting topic today because I think a lot of us out there who might be the sole cat-friendly practitioner at a practice, or you kind of feel like you're on an island that you're really trying to do the best for your cat patients, but maybe not getting a lot of support, or you're in a small building or your practice footprint maybe hasn't allowed you to initially establish what we're looking at today, which is that feline-only exam room. So Dr. Collar, let me start by asking you this. If you don't have a feline-only exam room, Does that really eliminate you from being cat-friendly? Oh, absolutely not. The way to be cat-friendly is to be creative about the space you have. So let's say you don't have a room for that, but you you might be able to set set aside, say, a half a day and call it catter day or some other way of making a schedule such that your wellness exams are kind of jammed together for your cat exams. And then you clean out an exam room you have, get rid of all the dog odors and get it really nice and disinfected. Put some nice warm towels in there, spray, plug in a feel away diffuser. And now you've got a feline only exam room, even if it's only for four hours. And you mentioned a few things in there that I kind of want to tease out one by one, but let's start by saying, what are some of the stress triggers that cats will experience when they're going into a space where a dog had just been? The one that is least appreciated and most significant is the sense of smell. Cats have a remarkable sense of smell, far, far, far superior to ours. So if you can sniff it, they are overwhelmed by it. So getting rid of the, any kind of dog odors or odors of disinfectant, you know, those strong odor cleaners and things like that, those are real triggers for cats. What do you use when we, we're talking about disinfectants specifically? What do you use? I know that you started and managed to feline-only practices um, in your exam rooms and certainly just in your hospital to be as um, kind to those cat noses as possible. We now use a new product that's a hydrogen peroxide-based product, and that is really effective at removing bacteria and viruses. It also, when it's dry, it's absolutely odorless. So that's the kind of product to look for. Wonderful. You mentioned towels. You mentioned pheromones in the form of plug-ins. Talk about when do you start getting those things ready, right? There's a little bit of a lag time, so if, <laughs> you've, sure got a, right, if you've got a cat already in the exam room, we can't just no help. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> how do you talk with your team about that prep work, being proactive for those exams? So if you have, say, for example, you have a catter day, you have a little half day set aside for all your cat exams, the night before you plug in a feel-away diffuser in that room. The other thing that you can do is use one of those spa towel warmers. You can spray the towels, put those in a towel warmer, and that feel-away diffuses through the fabric and the towels, and then you just move those into the exam room. 
I love that. I think that's where my 20% off Bed Bath & Beyond coupon came in most handy <laughs> yes. when I got that towel warmer for our practice. Um, let's talk about the room itself. So you bring up a great option with the Catter Day. We did that on Wednesday evenings at our practice. Um, but what if you're looking around your hospital and you're like, I, I don't know if an exam room even is going to work. I don't know if... Maybe my management team isn't going to allow us to do that four-hour space. What are some other places that we can think about doing some of our cat-only exams and diagnostics? I think the most interesting thing that happened to me in visiting a lot of general practices is they absolutely make that statement. I have absolutely no room. There's no way. And and I come in with a fresh set of eyes, and my team does, and we look around the space and say, what could we turn into a little cat only? Remember, you just need a tiny bit of space for a cat exam, right? Really nothing much. We found a little alcove in one practice where they had huge bags of dog food. And so we moved those out of that little space and we put some little, you know, folding screens in front of it. We didn't, they didn't even have the, the, resources to really build a wall and a door. So we just put some screens in front of them. We bend the screens back and, and we created this nice little space where you could actually put in a feel away diffuser and it would concentrate that in the in that space. So that's one thing is just to look with a fresh set of eyes at the space you're in. Now, how about acoustics? We talked about the sense of smell. What about if we are in that alcove, and I'm glad you moved those dog food bags out of the way, as they should move for the cats. Um, but what about acoustics from barking dogs or paging phones or even our own voices? Well, you know, everything's accumulative in a cat, right? So every bit of little arousal, whether that's a loud noise or a barking dog or somebody slamming a door, arousal is a cumulative situation in cats, so you really want to make sure that you try to tamp that down. So we put our... Um, our phones in a separate room. We built a separate office space for the CSRs, so it's not an open space. Um, dogs are really can be really noisy, and so pick the room farthest away from all the commotion. Maybe there's a little room by the back door or something like that where there's less traffic and less commotion going on. But then the big trick is your staff. That's where getting everything into the room you need so there's not strangers running in and out, doors slamming, drawers opening and closing, all those things that make just thinking through your preparation a little more important. Another question I have is, um, what about lobbies, right? So a lot of us have worked really hard to have separate cat and dog lobby spaces, but I think with the advent of the pandemic, a lot of that even went out the window, so to speak, as we utilize the car right, yeah. as, as our lobby. Yes. Um, but I don't think a lot of us have really changed from there. And how, how can people who say, I, you know, I have a super small lobby and there's always a barking dog in there, can I make it work where I just have my cat clients wait in their cars until oh, sure. that exam room? How long do they need to be in that exam room in a perfect world to let those cats acclimate a little bit more? You know, one of the the most powerful ways to do that is to put the cat in the carrier in the exam room quietly with no one else there and open the door and give them just a couple of minutes to voluntarily come out and most of them will and start looking around and getting a little acclimated they really feel like they're learning the spaces and it's really a huge uh, lack of stress for them to be able to get a little acclimated to where they are 
And I think that also goes along with once they get acclimated, let's not move them, right? <laughs> no kidding. So what do you do about diagnostics? I assume that you're trying to do as many as you can in that space? Oh, or, absolutely. Right? We do as many as we can in the room. Um, I don't have the financial resources to have multiple ultrasound machines. So that's the one thing where we have to take them. I bring the owner with me when we take the cats into the back, which everybody's so terrified about, we take the owners with us and we give them a little job to do. We give them a little acupressure point on the top of the cat's head and give them a job and then let them come with to make sure that they understand that nothing terrible is going to happen. I love that idea. Most of the time, though, we keep them in the rooms. We do all kinds of blood work, urine, urine urine collection, blood pressure measurement, subcutaneous fluid administration, medication administration, all that stuff all takes place in the room with the owner present. Unless they have a needle phobia, of course. <laughs> and we always have to quickly ask that. And which, yes. at which point they are invited to leave, not I, the cat. That's right. That's right. I love that too. Um, let's go a little bit deeper in that exam room for just the last few minutes. We talked about the sense of smell. We talked about their auditory cumulative effect. I want to talk though about the exam room table because I think a lot of people think I can't use this space because there's no way I could quote unquote fit an exam table in there. I don't think I've used my exam table for a cat in quite some time, but I wanted to get a sense from you. What do you think about sort of that, I think more old older traditional sense that the exam had to be on the table. Part of that, I think, is because if you don't do things, some people, if they don't do things in order, they forget what they did, you know? So yeah. so it's a, it's a habit, right? Mm-hmm. But in places where there are fixed tables, and, and that's the only space you have to do them, then you put down something non-skid like a yoga mat. You put some nice bedding on top of it preferably nice and warm, for example, and do the exam to the best of your ability in that space. But we also use laps. I use the bench seats next to the owner. I sit down, put the cap between me and the owner, and we'll do the as much of the exam as we mm-hmm. can there. And then always save the most, the things the cats like the least for last. So do your ophthalmic exam last. Pick them up and move them over to the scale to weigh them last. The things that are most likely to add to that arousal, you want to do right at the end of the exam. I love that. And also, I would anticipate we're also talking about anticipated painful areas of the exam too, right? Oh, absolutely. I don't think that any cat should have to endure pain in order to be examined. So sometimes that means we need to make sure they're out of pain before we do that exam. And there are medications that can help with that. Before we wrap this up, and we've gone through so much, which has been so, so helpful. You mentioned quickly about how when you're doing ultrasounds, you bring the client with and give them something to do. Mm -hmm. I love that, the acupressure point. I think so many of our feline clients are intensely invested in their furry family, which I love, and I'm sure you do too, and really do want to be part of the medical care, whether that's only at home or in the exam room. What else can we have our clients help us with to decrease stress or also to just feel more like part of the medical team? You know, when we talk to clients about the kind of carrier, for example, one of the most important things is to say to them, listen, the exam starts 30 minutes before you and the cat get here, right? And it, because you have to bring the carrier up from the basement, clean up the carrier, put some nice bedding in it, put it in the living room and leave it there. That's where my carriers live. And when you start to 
tell them about the ways in which they can make the visit easier, they become part of the healthcare team. And that's really important, I think. Any last thoughts about whether we need to have, I think you've dispelled all the myths behind needing that feline separate exam room every single moment of the day and how to make that room the least stressful, most cat-friendly as possible. But any last tips for our listeners in the PYP community? One of the most powerful tools they have in their pocket is a smartphone. And if they see something that their cat is doing differently or oddly or just seems really new to them, to take a little slow-mo video of it and bring it along. That's really, really amazingly useful. I would agree. And I think especially now with the advent of more um, appreciation for what cats do when they are painful and being able to watch the differences in jumping and gait. Um, I love that tip and I hope more people are using it. Me too. I, it's a, it's so different the way cats act in our exam rooms and how they act at home. And if we can capture that behavior at home, it's a, just a fortune in, in good information. Well, Dr. Colloran, as always, you have just a wealth of knowledge. We so appreciate you and all that you do for our industry and, of course, all your patients and clients. I'm Dr. Natalie Marks. Thanks again for listening to the Perfect Your Practice podcast sponsored by Zoetis and powered by AAFP. We'll see you next time.